Welcome, and thank you for joining Sandcastle Theatre Company for an audio play reading of Individual, a new play by Ben M. Jones. We hope you enjoy the show. Individual by Ben M. Jones. Pre-show. The stage is sort of a blank, adaptable space. The floor and back wall are all clean and sparse. For our purposes, this is the United Nations. There is a table upstage center that can serve as a desk or as a restaurant table as scenes require. As house lights dim, the back wall of the UN gently come to life. Images of the world and all of its peoples, people experiencing pain, people experiencing joy, people who are powerful, people who are weak. We can hear them, but sort of indistinctly. Interspersed in the series of images are a secluded American suburban street, a nice restaurant, a street corner in a small Midwestern city, a Black Lives Matter protest, a polling location, an elementary school, a playpen, a subway train, and a corner store. These images and the accompanying soundscape builds to a sort of crescendo, but instead of reaching a climax, it just stays consistent. Lights rise on A, standing quietly by themselves, eyes closed. Almost meditating, the images continue to race by, but the volume slowly comes down. A moment of what seems to be A, consuming, breaking down, interpreting all the imagery. Suddenly, the imagery stops and A is awoken. Delegate from the United States here to see you. For a moment, A pauses to consider this wary cautious, but then with confidence. Send them in. B enters, sort of stumbling into the space carrying a manila envelope. He is more than a little confused. Where am I? Welcome. That didn't answer my question. What is your business? I, on behalf of the United States of America, I've come to deliver this. Uh, I don't know if I'm in the right place. You're in the right place. Yes, but where? This place is... can be anywhere. Everywhere. This isn't making it clear. It isn't meant to be. That sounds like a dodge. It's a holding space. Think of it as a library of cultures, a united home for the peoples of the world. Okay. And who are you? I am the world. You're the yes. world? Yes. Just the world? The whole world and all its peoples. Wow. That's a lot. Now, what is your business? I have to deliver this. I mean, they just told me the room that I was supposed to go to, so I guess... Uh, Are you here just to deliver a memo? It's a little bit more than a memo. Oh. It's a proposal of sorts. It's a proposal for... The United States is going to leave. <laughs> the United States has so many military outposts on foreign soil. You're going to have to be more specific. No, the United Nations. America is pulling out of the whole thing, the whole collective of nations. America won't be part of it anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> this is a joke. It's not. You really want to try this? America does, apparently. No, 
Yes. You can't. I mean, I think we can. You really want to leave? Yes. Well, that's not how it works. It is now. That's not what the word united means. Yeah, I'm aware of that. You think with the word united in your country's name, you'd know what it means. We know what it means. You're not acting like it. Hey, don't put this all on me. Let me guess. It's not you, it's us. Somehow. I mean, me personally, as an individual, like, I'm with you here. This fucking sucks. What do you mean as an individual? You're not here to talk to me as an individual. You're here to talk about your country. Right. The United States is petitioning to leave the UN Charter. That is what we're doing, but I... But I feel terrible. Yes. Boo fucking who, bitch? We don't care how you feel. Excuse you? What the person in front of me feels doesn't offset the ramifications of... Hey, hey, remember the saying, don't shoot the messenger? You're more than a messenger. No, I'm not, but... Look, all right, I'm with you here. I think this fucking sucks. Then why are you doing it? You know, the cheese was bad in someone's burrito bowl or... What? It's an idiot move by idiots in charge. It's nothing serious. What do you mean it's nothing serious? I mean, it's a bonehead move made by boneheaded people. It won't last. Just, you know, run it through some bureaucracy machinery. And by the time you actually have to deal with it, someone will have come along and said, actually, we take it back. We'd love to stay. Because they'll have come to their senses. Hmm. This memo looks like more than a momentary madness. Well, that's all it is. Except now I need to deal with it. Like I said, just run it through some bureaucracy. Oh, it's much more complicated than that. I'm currently monitoring and working to reduce tensions in Lebanon, Afghanistan, Kashmir, Kosovo, and Cyprus. I have two active missions in South Sudan alone. And those are just the famous peacekeeping missions, let alone the climate work we're doing and economic development to keep people from needlessly starving. Tell me, which of these missions do you think we should put on ice? Which projects that we're doing do we stop paying attention to? Who starves? Whose town burns? Whose islands flood? Which cities' businesses fail? Just because instead of us helping them, We're spending our time running this through bureaucracy. You want us to waste our time doing some paperwork, write reports, analyze contingencies that you're already telling us right now will be meaningless just because one of the most economically powerful countries on the face of this earth feels like throwing some weight around? If we acted on this, the ramifications would be... Huge. Yes. Like, huge. It is a serious action. It deserves serious attention. I mean, yeah. Do you speak for your people? Do I speak? No. Then I can disregard this memo out of hand. No, I'm not qualified to, like, personally, no. But that message is still literally, I'm just a message boy here. You bring this before me. I am a set of legs and a set of hands to carry a piece of paper. I'm surprised they didn't just send an email. I I guess this is more formal or something. I'm not meant to speak on behalf of anyone. A contemplates the memo, and then B. A's shoulders sink a little, a realization. A puts the memo on the desk, stares at B. This petition requires judgment. I would rather not waste time. I mean, no. 
And since you're already here... Well, let's not be too hasty. I could snap my fingers right now and make a decision, but the lives of billions of people are in the balance. So I'm going to be a little more cautious than that. So it's a good thing you're here. Wow. Do you have anywhere else to be? Do I? No. I, I, I mean, I don't. Not, not urgently. Would you care for a cup of tea? I'm sorry. What are you d- doing? Here? I have a theory of sorts. A few ideas I need to test out. Cool. Great. Yeah. I'm going to run them by you. See what you make of it. You want to? Okay. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you. Great. So my first thought. Blackout. A beating sound. Then lights up on a small suburban neighborhood. A and B on their neighboring porches. B has a cup of tea. Oh, hey, David. And how are you? Doing all right, thanks. Good. How's the coffee? Tea, actually. Oh. I think it's the blend you and Elvin got for Carrie and I for our anniversary. Oh, glad you're enjoying it. Yes, it is lovely. Elvin and I were a little surprised, actually, to see the for sale sign on your lawn. Yeah. Where are you headed? Did you get a job offer somewhere? No, no, it's not that. Oh. Just, you know, me and Karen, we wanted... Well, a uh, change of scenery. Oh, did you? Yeah. This neighborhood just, uh, it isn't what it used to be. How do you mean? It's just that, you know, ineffable sense, I guess. I couldn't tell you what it is. It just feels different. So we thought it's probably time for us to be moving on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you know where you're moving to then? Well, we haven't settled on a place yet. Ooh, leap of faith then. Well, we've got our eyes on a few places. There's a house in Whiten looks nice, and the schools also seem good. Joey and Ann are about to start middle and elementary school, so, you know, schools are important. And there's Levittown, also looks nice. And then there's Lexington, which is still technically on the list, but uh, <laughs> I doubt it'll be there long. Lexington's nice, though. There's this really nice Kenyan restaurant on Jefferson Davis Avenue. It's a ways away from here, but Elvin and I still make a point of going every few weeks or so. It's really good. Really nice place. Oh, that's nice. Not convinced. Well, one nice restaurant does not a good neighborhood make. That's true. But yeah, we've got time. We're just listening to the house formally tomorrow. Thought we'd get the sign up a bit early just to, you know, make it feel real. Oh, sure. Plus, I mean, you know, I've. I had time to myself today, but tomorrow, Monday, got to be back at work. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, it'll be strange with you gone. You and Karen have been here as long as Elvin and I have been around. Yep. It's been 20 years in this house. We bought it before they were even finished building it. That long? Feels like we just moved in yesterday, sometimes. And then sometimes it feels like it's been centuries. I wish I could put into words just... How much the neighborhood has changed over the past few years. It's funny, you saying you feel less and less at home these past few years. Elvin and I have been feeling more and more at home here over the same time. I wonder why we've got a different sense of it than you do. Yeah, I wonder. If only there was some way we could explain it. I just, uh, I guess we're just, uh, you know, different people. Blackout, a beating sound. And then... Lights up on the UN. How's the tea? It's uh, nice. Darjeeling. 
No, darling. It's Chuejin Gui. It's what now? It comes from the Wuyi Mountains in the Fujian province of Southeast China. Oh. Its name literally translates to Golden Water Turtle. Ooh. <laughs> he is so important to the culture of the region that from their local songs and folklore developed the tradition of the tea picking opera. Oh. And this tea, which is such an integral part of the culture of these mountain peoples in Southeast Asia, is what we now get to drink up here on the 40th floor of the United Nations headquarters in Manhattan, on the eastern edge of the legendary 42nd Street. And we could have picked this from any number of other oolong teas. Ah, oolong. I have definitely heard that word before. Somewhere. It is truly one of the great benefits of being so connected to the global community. No matter who you are or where you come from nowadays, the world is at your door. Okay, yeah, yeah. You think we should stay. We don't have any reason to leave. Hmm. There are good reasons to want to leave, sure. More than a few other members have some reasons they quietly or loudly wish to be rid of us. Some of them are simple arrogance, but some are legitimate grievances that we need to reconcile. Uh-huh. But for most of these nations, for all, except you, it seems the economic benefits and political legitimacy that comes with being part of the global community far outweighs the political advantage of being able to pound one's chest and call yourself independent, especially since the charter as it exists does not meaningfully infringe on states' abilities to be independent or unique. Yeah, well, America is a really powerful country and we kind of don't need to be in a union with Angola or Turkmenistan or wherever else. We can set up trade deals, sure, but and we will. But like, uh, but that is a very small view of the consequences of this decision. I mean, it's an accurate assessment. This is a massive problem, though, for the collective. Okay, you say massive problem, but is it? Of course it is. Are you sure it isn't just, you know, something you don't like? Like, I get it. I don't personally like it either. But you'll survive without us. You'll be fine. As great and powerful as we are, we're still just one country. This is not an issue of an individual's decision. This is not as simple as the matter of a person choosing whether or not to have pineapple on a pizza. The consequences of your decision directly affect the entire world, and so will mine. I mean, it's going to change who your colleagues are. You're just going to have fewer of them. But your mission still remains the same. The places you do most of your work still remains the same. Your ability to do that work, as far as I can see, is still going to be there. I mean, I almost think you should be glad to be rid of us. Really? I mean, yeah, we're not. Historically, we've had some issues when it comes to playing well with others. Like, I think we should get better at that. I think we need to be part of the international community in order to do that. But that's me thinking about what's in our interest. What's in your interest is to not put up with any of our bullshit. If it was as simple as not putting up with your bullshit, you would have been kicked out a long time ago. But there is more happening here than just the meeting of our different egos. That's not exactly what I said. It's pretty close. You know what it sounds like? Blackout. A beating sound. And then lights up on a fancy restaurant. A and B sitting down to a dinner date. It's a little tense. Wait, what, what, what does that mean? It means what I said. But there are a lot of ways I could interpret that. There are a lot of ways for me to interpret the things you said, but 
you've not given me any clarity on how to interpret them, despite my asking, repeatedly. Look, I'm not keeping secrets from you or anything. You're refusing to tell me things? That's keeping secrets? But this is just supposed to be a first date. What does that have to do with anything? There are some things I don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about. Not at, like, the beginning of a relationship. I'm not asking you about your personal history of bedwetting. Yeah, I'd actually be all right talking about that. <laughs> but not your politics. Hell no. Understanding your politics and where everyone else fits into it is far more important to me than some involuntary bladder movements from when you were 10. Eight. I, uh, I was eight when I... Uh, oh, that is so not the point. Look, I'm not a political junkie or anything, so most of my political beliefs are really weak anyway. You can probably change my mind on almost everything. Are you telling me you lack conviction? Jeez, you're intense. <laughs> this is like my lowest setting. This isn't even me being confrontational or anything. Well, it feels confrontational, especially for a first date. I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, but like, why not ask me about my favorite movies? We'll get there. No, why not start there? I need to understand where you're coming from when you say you like this or that movie, like Joker, for example. You know, the Joaquin Phoenix film? Yeah, I've heard of it. A lot of people like that film, but for some very different kinds of reasons. What, like because Joaquin Phoenix is either really good or really bad? Because some people see the portrait of how screwed up city feels its residents' mental health needs. And some worship the Joker character. No matter what violent act he perpetrates, and no matter the reason for his acts. Oh. Yeah, so. Okay, I, I get that. But, like, politics is just not something you... Okay, screw the word politics. Just tell me about your worldview. My worldview? Yeah, how you think about things in a big picture sense. Just, like, how I see the world? Exactly. Uh I mean, broadly, I, I guess I just like the world the way it is. The world looks good to me, I think. War in the Middle East and... Uh, okay, no, not everything, but broadly speaking. Brexit and kids in cages in Texas and the Great Barrier Reef dying and... No, no. Famine in North Korea and riots in Hong Kong and... Assault of women in India, Australia on fire, oh, and passenger no. jets getting shot down, and a major American party radicalizing against democracy, and really the whole world dying oh, of this Jesus, no, 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 none of that, no. When you say broadly speaking, how broad exactly? I mean, look, everything works here, right? There are things we want, but... Broadly speaking, you know, we've got food and clothes and... The world, broadly speaking, is just how it affects you. I guess. I mean, yeah. Blackout, a beating sound, and then lights up at the UN. It sounds, from my perspective, like you have a very limited, very narrow view of the world. I know the world is a big place. And of your role within it. I appreciate that you have your perspective, perspectives even, on what is good and moral and how we should behave ourselves, what comportment we should carry ourselves with, the extent to which we care. America, just culturally, has a different worldview. Well, 
that much is obvious. That's all it is. Different moral frameworks. I think we all need to respect our differences. Know that we're all trying to do our best. That's a nice, let's all get along. Let's not talk about our differences spiel. But I want to talk about this because it's going to hurt people. I know we've hurt your feelings, but... This is about more than my feelings. I can respect that different peoples have different values, but I think there are some things that your framework is ignoring. Excuse you. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something. Tell me. I I want to be convinced. Really? My view that America is selfishly individualist and consequently allows millions to suffer so a select few can live in exceptional luxury all under the guise of supposed individual freedom is not a charitable interpretation. It assumes the worst about your motives, your character. It assumes an almost complete lack of systemic empathy. Now, I would love to be wrong in this assessment, truly. But I need something more than just a wish in order to believe it. Some story, some evidence, some framework that allows me to understand what happens, to contextualize it in a more generous manner. Until then... Well, that's a very cynical take. Like I said, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But I can't fly in the face of evidence. What kind of evidence are you looking for? I don't know. But there has to be some explanation, even a bad one. One you just tell yourselves to sleep at night. That justifies maintaining such a fractured, isolated and struggling society. Surely there's something positive you believe in? Blackout, a beating sound, and then lights up on a decently busy corner, on the sidewalk, in a decent-side Miss Western City. A approaches B. Hi, I'm here collecting signatures of support for the Ninth Avenue Transitway Project. Would you... Oh, the streetcar, isn't that? It's actually an extension of the current Green Line light rail into downtown and also includes bus network improvements. It's more than just a new train. That's why we call it a transitway project. I've seen the pictures. It looks cool, doesn't it? Wouldn't that be a thing to have on the streets? Yeah, it's it's really cool. If you sign there, this is um, a petition to get the funding measure on the local ballot this coming November. Oh, no, I, I can't sign that, I'm afraid. No, I'm sure you can. You don't have to be a resident or even a registered voter to sign. Uh, No, no. You know, I mean, yes, technically I could sign. I just meant, you know, as the project exists right now, I can't support it. It looks cool and all, but I I just can't. Wait, you can't, but you said it seems so cool. I said it looks cool, but I just think the way they've gone about it hasn't really taken the community's concerns into account. and. That's a problem for me. A series of local labor unions have come out in favor of the project. The local Boys and Girls Club, Habitat for Humanity, the Regional Technology Association, even the Sierra Club, which was, I admit, <laughs> admittedly, they're, they're loose cannon nowadays. But still, a poll by the Daily Register found that over 70% of local residents supported the project. And another 15 said they had no opinion. So I think it's addressing the community's needs. Yeah, but I don't think that was a properly representative of the community. It doesn't come up with a solution for all the lost parking spaces on 9th Avenue, which is super important to me, and the community. And that's important, don't you think? I mean, some people don't like losing a 
couple of parking spaces. And, and I know there's a few idiots on the community board who've been grumbling about goodness knows the aesthetics of electrical vi- wires is just petty on a whole other level. But really, this is a community. Yeah, I'm uh, actually on that community board. Oh. And look, I drive into the city every day and it's already hard enough to find parking as it is. Taking away parking spots just won't help. It'll only make a bad situation worse, and add, the, add to that the bus lanes, taking away space from cars on an already congested road. But this is the solution to those problems, right? A dedicated lane of transit can move 10 to 25,000 people per direction, per hour. A car-only street can do at best 1,600 people, often closer to just 600 So with dedicated transit ways, you actually have fewer cars on the roads, less traffic, and you need so much less parking that with all of the parking that still exists on every other road, it'll probably be easier to find a spot, not harder. But no one's going to actually stop driving to take the bus, kid, or to take the train. That's not how this works. That's exactly how this works. No, honey, it's not. Monthly transit pass only costs 100 bucks a month. How much do you spend on gasoline? How much do your neighbors spend? I don't know, but it's a small price to pay for flexibility. A lot of people, like me, for example, can't afford to spend 300 a month on a lease, plus over 100 a month on insurance, plus goodness knows how much you might spend on gas for a lot of people. It's a matter of economic justice. No, look, I'm all for economic justice, but... Transit policy and economic justice are two very different things. I mean, giving people lower cost options to fill their needs seems to fit very squarely into economic justice. And then, of course, there's climate justice. Yes, climate change is very important, which is why we need to be installing charging points on the sidewalks so that it's easier for people to transition to electric cars. Okay, but cars are still widely less energy efficient than mass transit even if they are electric. And when you think about all the lithium needed to manufacture all those batteries and the horrible effects of lithium mining. Okay, okay, okay. And you still have all the blacktop streets which exacerbate the heat island effect. And building your communities around cars ends up pushing everyone and everything further away. And there are all sorts of environmental impacts from sprawling out into forests and scrublands, let alone the social costs of designing for isolation. Oh, you sound like a goddamn hippie. I'm not a hippie. I just like clean air, energy independence, and accessible cities. Okay, just look, the streets are for cars. But they don't have to be. The streets are for cars. That's just how it is, all right? Yeah. So... You're definitely not going to sign, are you? No. Okay, well, then I'll just stop wasting my breath, I guess. Excuse you, what? If you've quite made up your mind, I'm not going to waste my breath. So you can just fling out your thought-ending cliches and think you're smart when you're standing in the way of progress. Blackout, a beating sound, and then lights up at the UN. The scope and scale of the vetocracy in your country is staggering. I'm sorry, the what? The vetocracy. The fact that public proposals in your country have to get past so many different veto points that it makes it basically impossible to get anything done. Bicameral legislatures, executives with veto power, courts with veto power, community boards with veto power, 
so many places for public works to get stopped, so few places for things to be approved. There are, I think you mean guardrails against tyranny, against anyone having too much power, against corruption. Because power corrupts, so deny anyone any real power. Yes. Which means when things don't get done, it's super easy to just blame someone else. Yeah, wait. There are so many points of failure for any proposal that it becomes impossible to get things done. No, it's not impossible. You've got community boards and city councils and ward presidents and mayors and county chairs, state legislators and governors and so on and so on. And any of these different points can be the point of failure for a necessary proposal. Doesn't matter if it's housing, transportation, energy policy. Are you talking about local democracy? Because it sounds like you're talking smack about local democracy. It's less local democracy that I'm annoyed by. It's more the hundreds of layers of governance, kicking everything out to a study rather than, you know, doing the damn thing. And the large variety of possible veto points makes it harder to really understand who's putting popular ideas on the shelf. Well, harder to hold the right people accountable and easier to hide corruption. No, if it's too easy to get a proposal passed, it's too easy to corrupt plans that drive benefits to elite interest groups. A smaller decision-making system makes it easier for the public to understand who's doing what and easier to hold the correct people accountable if they behave in a corrupt manner. Well, I find it strange that you're so worried about corrupt action and completely blasé about corrupt inaction. Well, how else do you make sure everyone gets to have their fair say? Elections. You make a big deal. Hold them every two or four or six years and then let the people you've elected do their jobs. Yeah. Well, what if, for example, there's a plan to build some brand new massive buildings in a neighborhood somewhere and the whole state says, yeah, that sounds good. But the people who actually live there don't want it. Do we just mess with those neighborhoods anyway? See, it's not just enough to have statewide or federal elections. You need local authorities. The Federalist argument. Okay. What? Federalism, the name of the system you're describing. Ah. You have a weird way of naming things in America. Your federal government is a centralized government rather than a collection of local governments. It's a little weird. Yeah. Well, we like to be... Individuals. Yep. You're all individuals, aren't you? I mean, yeah. But those individuals make decisions which affect the collective, whether they see themselves that way or not. That's why we put guardrails on. Don't let anyone get too carried away. But like I said, inaction can be corrupt too. Who benefits from the status quo? When you protect personal liberty, who already has a great range of personal liberty? And who doesn't? Well, who can afford a home? Who owns a home? And who needs affordable housing? Who can afford to drive? And who needs a bus pass? Okay, okay. And which of these two groups has the time to attend community meetings? The unpaid, unelected forms of local governance that hold veto power over so many local construction projects. So maybe local governance needs to be a little more egalitarian, I guess. At some point, people need to reckon with the collective costs of their obstruction. You may see people as primarily separate and individual, but we all have collective responsibilities. And some of us more than others. Blackout, a beating sound, and then lights up on a protest. It's turning into something of a riot. A is a protester, 
pointing off stage. B is a cop in riot gear. What are you doing, Tim? All right, stand back. He needs help. Why aren't you helping him? Hey, hey, just quiet down. Quiet down? You need to do your job. That man needs help. Listen to me. Hey, listen to me. No, you listen to me. I am your boss. Your job is to protect and serve the public. That's me and that's him. Protect and serve us. You protect and serve us, not the other way around. So go help that man. You need to listen to me when I talk to you. You aren't saying anything. You need to listen. You need to listen. That, that man, that man needs help, not me. I don't need your help. So I, I don't know why you're here talking to me, but I don't need your help. But that man here, he needs your help. He needs help. Help him. You need to watch your tone, ma'am. My tone? I don't need lecturing about my tone. You're being disrespectful. And you're being negligent. That man needs help. Assistance. He needs you to protect and serve him. So what are you waiting for? I am the one in charge here, and you'll respect that. I do not care. If you will not help him, then I will. And hey. he begins to try to walk past B. Hey, hey. I'm going to help him. You stay where you are. You're not my boss. I'm not afraid of you. Stay back. I said stay back. Get out of my way. Get back now. B draws his gun, raises it to shoot. Right before he does, blackout. A beating sound. And then lights up at the UN. B is a little bit visibly shaken. <sighs> there is a thing I know about myself, or rather how I am perceived. Often people see my intellectual tone and they, for some reason, think of that as meaning I don't care. That you can care about things or you can be intellectual, which is weird to me <laughs> that this would be the case. I have developed my intellect and I use my intellect precisely because I care. My intellect is not some facade of purported objectivity or some fetishized idea of rationality. I am intellectual and intelligent because the things that happen in the world in all of their detailed complexity and the experiences that they put people through really earnestly matter to me. And I want to understand them all, not just on the surface, but deeply, truly. But sometimes it baffles me that I even need to be intellectual at all. There are some things that happen and for the life of me, I, I cannot figure out how some people just seem to feel Nothing. No tugging at their heartstrings. No wrenching in the gut. Nothing. Yeah. And yet. Look, I, I didn't want to do that. No, I suppose you didn't. Right. As an individual, it's not what you specifically believe in. Right. But it's done in your name. It's done in your name. I don't think that's quite. It's your tax dollars, isn't it? Look. Sometimes people in positions of power and trust sometimes, yeah, they abuse that trust, but it still doesn't mean. And you are not great at holding them accountable when they mess up. Some people sometimes get away with something. That you might design the guardrails of public power to benefit small numbers of people and their pre-existing, quote unquote, personal freedoms is, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I agree with your decision. But at least now I understand that way of thinking. It's privileged by who has power. 
but still vaguely attempting something egalitarian enough so that you can at least tell yourselves that the system and its guardrails are egalitarian. But it comes with massive blind spots. So when more powerful people to fall afoul of the guardrails, it seems even then little is done to hold them accountable to the public, which suggests that these guardrails don't exist to hold powerful people accountable, but instead they're meant to keep a certain kind of person in power and certain kinds of people out of power. When you say a certain kind of person, yes, you're just calling me racist. Race is part of it. These people you keep in power do tend to be white, but that's not the only thing. No, that, that feels like where, that's where this is going. That's always where these conversations go. Somehow, some way, everything is racist. It just is. And to question it is racist. <laughs> if I had wanted to call you racist, I would have done it by now. I would have done it ages ago. And I do think you have a race problem. But I think there's more going on with you. Much more than just race. I think there's something underneath your relationship with race. Some ideology that compounds your problem. And I think this because of the many problems that seem to persist even when you are following your less racist neighbors. Your chronic individualism is not limited to just you being racist. Okay. So with that. So you're not just trying to beat up on me. No. Okay. Why would you think that? It just, it sort of feels like, you know, hey, you're wrong. Here's a million reasons why. I have something of an attraction to your culture. The figures of almost mythic proportion who loom so large in your imagination. Washington, Lincoln, Roosevelt. And then there's your Paul Bunyan, John Henry, the Texas Rangers, Bigfoot. You know, I honestly don't think I've thought about most of those names since I was a kid in school. <laughs> really? Paul Bunyan, the giant swatting away cannonballs with his bare hands? John Henry, the man who outworked a steam-powered hammer. The capacity for strength, guided not by a lust for power or selfish self-satisfaction, but building a young nation, guided by duty, a sense of moral uprightness. Even if they are only stories, that still seems to be the myth America believes about itself. It is an enchanting mythology. Is there a jab somewhere in there? I'm being honest. <laughs> Whatever I think about your politics, whether or not you live up to the stories you tell about yourself, I'm not going to pretend you are without charm. Really? Really. Okay. Yes. Really? How many times do you need me to say it? No, I just... I guess it's not what I'd expect to hear at this point in the conversation after all this. Uh... It's not something I expected to say, if I'm honest. <laughs> but I know it's true. You have ideals, even if you don't always live up to them. We live up to them sometimes. But so often fail. So often you all make such weird choices. I, I genuinely struggle to understand your approach to, well, just about everything, everything you go about doing, the world often goes about it differently. And it seems from the outside to work for them. But what you do seems, well, from the outside, not to work. So the question always is, why? 
I am baffled by your behavior. I don't say that to condemn. I want to understand. Yeah, but like, it's not that hard. Okay, I'm listening. I mean, we are a nation born of bloodshed and war against a tyrannical government. It's pretty well baked into our cultural DNA to be cynical of large government, government overreach, and pretty much any extension of controlling power. Limited power of government has led to outsized power in the private sector, of corporations, of businesses, of landlords. It has left people without recourse if some other private citizen wrongs them in some way. Is this not a form of tyrannical power exercised against the public? It's not tyranny, it's... Capitalism. Yeah, wait, okay, look, not like that. And those institutions which become powerful cannot be held accountable by the general public. They do not have any social or collective responsibilities. Corporations do lots of good. They make jobs, they provide goods and services at affordable prices all over the country. They collectively drive down wages for their employees, tightly control their schedules, thus their lives, drive smaller locally owned companies out of business, and by leveraging economies of scale to become more profitable, open up even more stores until there's something of a cultural hegemony. A bland sameness to every shopping mall, every city center, every town across the country. There is a role for corporations, sure. Common experiences are important to a culture. There's a value to everyone around the country knowing what a Big Mac is. But these businesses have completely reshaped your culture, made it generic. And you seem to not even notice that it is generic. Well, most people never travel too far from where they were born. That doesn't seem to be a good thing. It means people like where they live. Or it means people do not have the ability to travel. Or the desire to experience new things, even temporarily. I mean, America is vastly farther away from places like Europe or Asia or anywhere you'd want to travel. So it's vastly more expensive for us than it is for people who live in other parts of the world. It doesn't mean we're failing our citizens. Just, you know, a fact of life. Touché. People not knowing that they live in generified bubble doesn't mean the bubble is morally acceptable. It still has social costs, even if the residents don't realize it. And I expect even the ones who never leave the town where they were born still recognize the generified bubble. But this is what markets do. They let those with good ideas win. And so good ideas win. But by what measure are they good ideas? Well, people seem to like them, so they shop at these stores. They frequent the businesses that they like. They choose where to spend their money. But in a world so generic as to have the same few companies controlling everything, is there really choice? This is the thing that baffles me, is that even when there are quite clear limits on individual freedom, individual choice, you seem to ignore or at least dismiss the systemic critique for even insinuating that the system should change. The focus is always on individual action, as if there is always the vector through which things function. Yes, because it is. But it isn't. Sure, individualism is always a factor, always relevant. Yes, always a play, always a factor. But so are collective forces, collective struggles. What we owe to our neighbors, our communities to our colleagues and co-workers, to our families and our friends, to our political allies and our political opponents. We have collective responsibilities. 
and we ignore them at our peril. Lights fade into something more like a blue out, the beating sound, and then lights up on a line outside a polling station on election day. A is a volunteer helping people vote and providing water, snacks, etc., for people waiting in line. B is a self-appointed poll watcher and B has a very large visible gone. Where do you think you're going? I'm just going to grab some more supplies. You mean more ballots? I'm sorry, who are you? Name's Doug. Okay, well, Doug, I'm very busy at the moment, so if you'll excuse me. Ah, 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 ah. B moves to block A. Interfering with the administration of elections is a criminal offense, Doug. I'm not interfering. I'm just a poll watcher. Just making sure everything is above board. Okay, well, I'm a poll worker. You see the name tag? See where it says poll worker? Okay. So, you're watching? Fine. But you don't get to interfere. No harassing the voters, and you definitely shouldn't stop any more of my co-workers, all right? Hey, look, I'm not trying to harass anyone. I'm just doing my duty as a poll watcher. Who exactly are you working for? I'm sorry? What agency are you part of? What organization? You're a poll watcher, so on whose authority? I'm just doing my civic duty. I'm not paid for by anyone. I'm just... A private citizen who's taken it upon himself to determine without, I'm assuming, any specific training or expertise, whether or not the election is being conducted fairly. No legal commitment to being nonpartisan, independent, no research-based or fact-based understanding of what constitutes suspicious behavior, evidenced by the fact that you've tried to detain an actual employee of the county who is in the process of administering the election. No need for all that hostility. You're impeding me from doing my job. That is a crime. So please get out of my way. I just have some questions about... I legally cannot tell you anything about the election process. You mean if you see something suspicious? There are formal channels for that kind of thing. I don't just go blathering about them to the nearest stranger. I'm not a stranger. I'm a poll watcher. Name's Doug, remember? You know that legally speaking doesn't mean anything, right? I call the cops. Tell them you were impeding me from my work administering the election. And you get charged with harassment at minimum. Doesn't matter whether or not you call yourself a poll watcher. It's a meaningless title. It matters to me that these elections are administered fairly. And let me guess, what is to you a fair election is one where your guy wins. No, I just... And then you can put down your gun. And next time election season rolls around, apply for a job in the election office. There's a lot of actual work to be done, making sure that everyone gets to vote, gets to have their vote counted. That's hard. It takes a lot of work, but we managed to do it. And it happens, no thanks to the goons who run around all over the country and all over the county, waving their guns, saying, this looks fishy to me, demanding all sorts of ideas from people in line to vote, even though they have no legal authority. If you really cared about democracy, you'd have voted and gone home again. You might volunteer to drive your neighbors to their polling place. That's how you make elections fair. What you're doing is a way to make sure elections come out your way. Can you at least be honest with yourself about that? Hey, I'm doing this for the greater good of the country. Is waving that massive gun around, scaring people shitless for the greater good of your country. Guns protect people. Until you use them. Well, then here's hoping I don't have to use them. But I will if I have to. Can you imagine that your guy will lose and you will treat the result as fair? 
that it might be all right for the country? I mean... If you could, it'd be a novelty. Most people in your shoes, they don't give a damn about their neighbor. Hey, watch it. What are you going to do? Shoot me? You can hardly claim self-defense, and it won't look good if a poll watcher kills an election worker. Lot of bad press for your movement, or whatever you want to call it. Seriously, stop LARPing and let me do my fucking job. Lights quickly fade to near black. The beating sound, during which some light leaks onto the stage, and then lights up at the UN. Our collective actions shape who has power, including who has individual power. I mean... And when our institutions of collective power are weak, more people can wield individual power for their own benefits. And because that power is individual, there is nothing stopping people with less than generous intentions from wielding that power for their own benefit against the benefit of others. Okay. I have a heady sort of intellectual question, which I will admit is not normal for me, but I feel like I might be on the verge of understanding something here. Excellent. What is your question? When you talk about collective actions, collective responsibilities, etc., are you just talking about like the average, like take all our individual actions and then average them out. And that's our collective action. Take all our individual responsibilities and average and collect them all together. And that becomes our collective responsibilities. Or do you mean something different? A little of both. Both? Both the collection of individual action, but also something different. Do you mean then to speak about the decisions or responsibilities of those in power and their decisions? You're talking about individual or rather singular points of decision-making. This law gets passed. This person gets elected. This building is made. This food gets transported to this market. This company sells this product for this much money. Much of what I'm talking about is more abstract. Singular events, singular actions can illustrate what I'm talking about. But the reality is more complex. What about the context in which all these individual decisions, individual actions are taken? But the singular moments, either in isolation or taken together, are what is reality. The abstract ideas are just, you know, ideas. But they are the ideas that help us understand those realities. Someone wants something, so they take it. But how do they take it? Why do they take it? Why do they want it? What is the effect on the person it was taken from? These questions are not answered just by saying, this is what happened. Who and what and when and where? Sure, these are easy questions to answer. Him, did, this, then, over there, why and how and the ramifications. Unless you take a lot for granted, you have to do a good deal of abstraction to understand these things. Okay, but like... Someone shows up at a polling place with a massive rifle, keeping his eye out for what he deems suspicious behavior. Now, on the one hand, that is an individual action on his part. Right, it's what he chose to do. But did he make that choice in a vacuum? Was there nothing else going on that influenced him? What was his advantage in doing that? And why did he understand that to be his advantage? What does he deem suspicious behavior? And where do these ideas of suspicious behaviors come from? We can go deep, deep on this. Look, you can condemn a few bad actors. I'm not trying to condemn an individual. Again, the focus on the individual obscures the greater forces at work. 
the media environment that rabbles on about phenomena that don't exist, how is that allowed to happen? The political system that allows random citizens to patrol the streets while armed to the teeth with military-style weaponry. Again, how does that happen? It's hard to imagine with these systems in place a world where individuals don't decide to pick up a gun and patrol for seemingly nefarious activities, even if they have no idea what those nefarious activities look like. So what? Blame the media? That's it? Just the media shouldn't do what it does? I didn't realize it was this simple. I didn't realize we were on Twitter all of a sudden. On Twitter? Well, since you just tried to condense a complex argument down to less than 140 characters, leaving nuance and complexity on the chopping room floor, that suddenly sounds like a Twitter-ready version of what I said, which is to say, basically, wrong version of what I said. Okay, so we're coming for Twitter now? Again, I can't get down with that. Okay, now you're just ignoring me. I'm not ignoring you. You're picking up the easiest, most low-hanging fruit parts of what I'm talking about and running with it. I'm picking up on what I understand. A confluence of factors beyond any one person's control constitutes a systemic issue which can be addressed in multiple ways and should be. It's convenient, I think, to sometimes ignore what's going on in the background Let's us pretend that our successes are our own and not a preordained gift from the heavens or from the systems our ancestors built to protect us. Lights dim, but we can still make out what's happening on stage. The same beating sound as we've heard before. And then we're in an elementary school classroom. A is the teacher, B is the parent. B gives A an apple, which he holds awkwardly. Look, I don't think you understand. I'm sorry, I... My kid needs to be in that school. It was a lottery decision. Ten kids from the school got in, out of a class of 200. What was I supposed to do to get my kid into that school? Look, your your child will still do perfectly all right at... I'm not gonna... And my wife, she's not gonna take this sitting down. I'm sorry. Look, I know it's not your personal decision. I know that you're not the one who decides, yada, yada. But I need you to tell me what my options are because I don't know how I... (laughs) Okay, um, can I be completely honest with you for a goddamn second? Please. It's all a ruse. What? These special schools, there's nothing special about them. On paper, sure, but really... Your child is not going to have a better life because they went to this or that middle school or high school. How well they do in life is based on how rich their parents are, nothing else. Very funny. I'm not joking. Yes, you are. I wish I was joking. The academic literature on the subject is, in my opinion, I find it quite bleak. Bleak? I see kids far less fortunate than yours, and I spend so much time with them and pour in so much effort, and I know it doesn't matter. Not really. I mean, it matters to us personally in the moment, but in 10 years, 20, they won't remember this moment. They won't be making better wages. They won't have better working conditions, better job. They won't have a better chance of escaping poverty just because I was good at my job. How good the school is, and it's a good school, doesn't really matter. Yeah, that is bleak. I don't say this out of spite. I want the best for everyone. The fact that you are willing to And frankly, that you have the time to come down and fight for your kid. Uh, That you can put the effort in because you don't have to work 60 hours a week just to make ends meet. 
that says more about your kids' future prospects than any grade in my class. And that fact deeply saddens me. It saddens you. I have a lot of talented students who will never get to use their full potential. And it won't be any of their faults. I know this. I see kids every day who will sooner or later end up behind bars, serving extended sentences for minor crimes, crimes they were driven to because no one hires people with names like theirs. And we don't. I don't need the whole political spiel. I hate that word. Spiel? Political. Just let's call everything political. Boil it down to two parties battering it out. Let's skip real people living real lives every damn day. Sure, why not? If people could take just a few seconds before invoking their political identity, maybe we could have a fucking conversation. Wow. Yeah. Hey, look, please just don't teach my kid the word fucking, please. Is this really what you just took away from that? No, but it was the easiest thing to say, so. Gotcha. Yeah. A slow transformation back to the U.N., the same beating sound as before. As always, the beating sound and the transition end at the same time. It is, of course, true that parent wealth better predicts student outcomes than any other variable. Right. A takes a bite of the apple and then puts it down. I do like apples. Yeah, me too. And apple pie, because, I mean, duh. It's funny sometimes, the things you think are American. Apple pie isn't American. English in origin, which I suppose is not unlike your country. And apples themselves originated in China. Huh. Spaghetti and meatballs too. I suppose the combination is American, but spaghetti is Italian. And meatballs are Swedish. I know this one. Chinese, again, actually. Eventually Persian, next. They take a while to get to Sweden. Really? And now you'll never guess where dim sum comes from. Okay, ha ha ha, but not everything comes from China. No, I suppose not. The Statue of Liberty, La Liberté, Eclairant, La Monde, was built by Gustave Eiffel. Wait, Eiffel? Yes, that Eiffel. Wow. You learn something every day? Your country, every bit of it, every bit of it is symbolism. Its culture is infused with the histories of people the world over. It's a crapshoot whether your city or county or state has a name that comes from the English, Spanish, Dutch, Danish, German, or even occasionally an indigenous people and their language. Oregon comes from Spanish. I would have never guessed based on the sound of that name, but Orejon. I could see that. It's amazing the things you don't learn in your schools. To be fair, some of that is because we're really bad at paying attention. Schools are kind of totalitarian authority structures, and again, not good with overreach. We love to rebel. Aversion to tyranny. This is the kind of thing where it's always convenient to say, but it never quite works out, intellectually at least. What do you mean by that? Schools are tyranny. Except that education, literacy, mathematics, history... These are the tools needed to understand your society, understand your economy, culture, and to make informed decisions within it. Are you free if you're constantly coerced? No. Much harder to coerce an educated populace. We have some really good schools. And a lot of shitty ones. We have our faults. 
I still can't believe you fund your schools with local property taxes. As opposed to... Literally any other way. Well, everyone funds their schools with taxes, so... But property taxes? Wealthy neighborhoods with higher valued homes getting higher funding for their schools, better resources, better teachers. That isn't just an accident. It's baked in with crystal clarity into your system. And we know, we know who are more likely to be wealthy and more likely to be poor in your schools. Well, we want school funding to be local and the accountability to be local. Again, communities should have control over their education. You could still have local accountability with a more equitable funding system. But now you're talking about some big, massive government program with a lot of federal or state-level oversight rather than smaller local districts. Sometimes big government is what you need to get the job done. How is it really? And let's not pretend that you haven't been all in for big government before. In the 40s and 50s, the Civilian Conservation Corps, the Civil Works, farm security, social security, and federal housing administrations. Collectively, the New Deal. Well, yes, we did dabble a bit. Programs that I would be remiss not to mention enjoyed popular support up until the 1960s and 70s when they were required to desegregate because prior to that, they had been explicitly designed for the exclusive benefit of your white neighbors only. Oh my! I do not want to call you racist, but... I will not overlook relevant facts and pertinent information just to make you more comfortable. You have always spoken of high ideals, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The American dream, the meritocratic idea that if you just work hard, you too could have everything you ever wanted. That all men were created equal. That governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. These are amazing ideas, wonderful ideas at the heart of the founding of your country. And yet? And yet, this country sits on land once occupied by a very different people who no longer live here. The native people who have been the victim of what can only be called a genocide. Come off it, genocide? My God. That's what we would call it if it happened anywhere else. And in that founding, there was also the slave trade codified into law that some people were worth at best three-fifths of what other people were worth, that presumably they had three-fifths the value. We haven't been perfect throughout our history. I'll give you that. I do not ask for perfect, but I ask you to be looking to move forward justly. And I look for you to be honest about this history. Your culture is and has been exceedingly individualistic to and beyond a fault throughout your history. And that focus on individualism has allowed you to leave systemically discriminatory institutions and practices in place for far too long. Now, I have seen many times the charges of racism and bigotry have made you dig in your heels, made you bury your head in the sand, made you shut down. I do not want you to shut down. I want to listen and to understand. But I also can't avoid saying true things. Does that make sense? Now you're treating me like a child. No, I am treating you like an adult. And you started to shut me out. I watched it happen in front of my face. Any willingness you had to engage with me disappeared. I'm trying to bridge that gap. To have this conversation with you, not at you. If there is a way to have this conversation without your shutting down midway through, I will try that. 
but I do not know that method or even whether it exists. If it does, I need you to tell me. A quiet moment, B stares ahead, looks around, then stares back at A. A watches, waiting, expectantly. If I'm honest, if I'm just completely honest for a moment, I don't know. I don't know how to have that conversation. And I certainly don't know when I've been called racist, how to move forward in the conversation. It's just like, where do we go? Like, I'm racist. I shouldn't be racist. I should stop being racist. That kind of feels like it should just, you know, end there. That's the end of the conversation, isn't it? But you can't just stop being racist. Racism isn't like a car. It doesn't stop on a dime. Well, right, but like... So the question, if we want to take it seriously, is what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And this applies, by the way, for all your sins. For misogyny, homophobia, classism, ableism, any sin you wish to name. You can acknowledge how it functions. You can acknowledge that it functions. But the very serious next question is always, what are we going to do about it? Okay, so any ideas? Well, it starts with the question. We can look at everything that's happening and we need only ask ourselves one question. Why? The scene transforms. In full view of the audience, the beating sound. When it stops, a playroom. A and B are children. Can I please play with your car? No. Please? No. Why not? It's my turn. It's been your turn all day. You don't need a turn. You're a girl. I want a turn. Well, it's my turn. You're being mean. I need to play with the car. I need to play with it too. You don't need anything as much as I do. You keep taking and taking and taking. This is my car. No, it's not. My car. The beating sound begins. The scene changes. The beats become the sound of a subway car. Hello and good evening. I'm so sorry to bother you, but I'm in a desperate situation. Okay, fuck off, y'all. We've heard it before. I'm sorry. I just need a little help. Yeah, you and every other tramp down here talking the same story time and again. I don't believe a fucking word of it. Oh, come on. We're all thinking it. How do everyone thinks the way you do? A set change begins. The sound of the subway car resolves back to the beating sound from before. When the transition ends, we're in a small corner shop. A is the cashier. B is yelling. Sir, uh, if you don't put a mask on, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. You're violating my freedoms. I I'm just trying to keep everyone safe. It's all bullshit and lies. You know that, right? My friends are very vulnerable, so please be kind. I don't care about your vulnerable friends. I've got my rights too. A harsh blue light out, the beating sound. And then we're back in the UN. So. Shitty kid does a shitty thing, grows up to be a shitty adult, is shitty to a homeless person and shitty to a cashier. They weren't meant to be the same person necessarily. Ah. This behavior is common in America. Okay. Why? Why is this behavior so common among your countrymen? Bad luck. Oh, come on. What? This is the point. The whole ball game. Yeah, we're so close. 
So close to greed, the greedy, as in on an individual level, all these people were greedy, selfish, thinking of themselves, not the collective, not the group, not thinking about other people. The child did not think, I love this toy. So if I share it, someone else will get the experience of that cool thing. The man on the subway did not think about why someone would feel forced to beg on the train. The man in the corner shop didn't think about how he might be putting people's lives there at risk. And, and these are normal experiences in America. Childhood bullies, strangers yelling at people they deem beneath them. A refusal to behave in the best interest, no matter how little the inconvenience is. Americans are all greedy. So either there's something in the water or... Or it's a systemic issue. So we're getting somewhere. Don't flatter yourself. I have learned the buzzwords. That doesn't mean I'm all the way on board. The insistence on individualism has led to a double whammy blind spot. Consequences of action and the responsibilities one bears for the individual actions on the one hand and the way systems of power affect which individual choices get to be made and on which basis. But the limitation of liberty, even the perception of a limitation on liberty is... Are we building policy on perceptions rather than reality? We live in a democracy. If the people feel infringed on, they vote accordingly. Then I come back to you with education. An electorate which understands the real bounds of their freedom more acutely than the misinformed perceived bounds of their freedom. Education is not some cure-all bomb for the world's problems. I know that. Well? But understanding matters. To some extent. A photo evoking the scene in the suburbs is projected into the space. If you explain to white homeowners, for example, that most of the patterns of white flight are just a result of them, the white people being conned into thinking that property values were going down, don't you think there would be less susceptible marks and neighborhood integration might be easier? A photo of the restaurant scene is projected into the space. If Americans understood not just intellectually, but in their hearts, the ways that events overseas directly correlate to their experiences and choices, don't you think that might change their behavior? Move the needle one way or another? At least a little bit. An artistic rendering of the light rail project is projected into the space. If your neighbors had a true choice for how they got around, would they still always take the route of owning their own car, of all the stress that comes with driving? A photo of a Black Lives Matter protest is projected into the space. If you all understood the way race has been used as a way to make white people tolerating, being abused by the capitalist class, would they still tolerate it? A photo of a ballot box is projected into the space. If everyone believed that some political opposition is legitimate, would you still make it harder for some people to vote? An image of A and B from the school scene is projected into the space. It was the easiest thing to say. Remember? There is a strong cultural instinct to look away from problems. But you need to look at problems. Issues like a photo of the play place with toys is projected into the space. Greed. A photo of a subway is projected into the space. Apathy. A photo of the corner shop is projected into the space. And arrogance. A has begun to float above the stage. The various worlds all blending together behind her as she recites the lines from the different scenes. By the end of it, her voice is echoing, and A truly seems like a god. It's funny. 
You saying you feel less and less at home these past few years. The world, broadly speaking, is just how it affects you. I'm not a hippie. I just like clean air, energy independence, and accessible cities. You're being negligent. That man needs help. Seriously, stop LARPing and let me do my fucking job. Maybe we could have a fucking conversation. You keep taking and taking and taking. I'm sorry. I just need a little help. My friends are very vulnerable. So please be kind. B starts to flail. Escape. Starts to looking out to the audience for a way out, but also continues addressing A. What the fuck is this? What's going on? Haven't you been paying attention? Well, not well enough to understand how you can do that. I can do many things. Who the fuck are you? Really? Who are you really? What kind, what kind of motherfucker can just do whatever it is you're doing? I'm your mother. I'm your daughter. I'm every person you have ever wronged and every person you have ever helped. I am the people who sewed every thread you've ever worn, grown everything you've ever eaten, built any car you've ever ridden. I'm the bum you don't even look at on the street and I am everyone you will ever meet. I am the blood with which your constitution was written. I am the backs which broke while building your nation. I am the urine and feces infecting those children whose parents brought them to your shores, who trusted you with their care. I have made cities rise and I have made them crumble. I have killed billions of people and I've given birth to billions more because I am the whole entire goddamn motherfucking world. Be is shocked into stillness, quietness, the aura of godliness around A fades, but there is still a faint glow she never had before. She walks on the stage again. We have explored together the nature of your country. That we have. Yeah, yeah, that, that we have. Are you ready to speak for them? Am I ready to? <laughs> I must hear from the American people before I can present judgment. Isn't that what I've been doing? I've been going over the evidence. You have been providing useful commentary, but I need testimony that is less compelled. B pauses, incredulous, takes a moment, centers himself like an athlete preparing for the next play in the game, closes his eyes. We are in a cornfield. A is there, but is not part of the scene. B is a farmer. I live a simple life. Just want to do right by people. And I want people to do right by me. We are outside a bar in the middle of a city. B is a drunk bar patron. Look, I'm not a fucking expert or anything, but I know bullshit when I see it. We are in a corporate office. B is an executive. What's good for business is good for everyone. We are in a suburban neighborhood. B is a middle-class homeowner and father. I'll do anything to give my kids a better shot. We are in a school. B is a teacher. I'll do anything to give my students a better shot. We're in the subway car. B is who he was before. Hey, we're all thanking it. A high school hallway. I am the epitome of normal. The UN, briefly. Okay, I'm not the epitome of... Corporate office. If we don't have money, we don't have anything. 
B starts to lose his focus. The switching becomes more erratic, matching the lines. Hey, we're all, I'll do anything to give my kids what's good for business. Look, I'm not a fucking expert. I live a simple life. If we don't have, you don't need anything. I am the epitome. I know bullshit when I see what's good for business. You're not going to change everything. You don't have anything. Very quickly back to the UN. Help me. Back to the switching realities. I am. We're all, I'll do, have money, simple life. Need anything? Epitome of bullshit when I see it. And all of the places at once. Why the fuck should I care about what happens over there? The subway. Why should I care what happens to you? The playroom. Why should I care what toys you get to play with? High school hallway. Why should I care if you call me a weirdo and a creep? Suddenly, the White House. Why should I care about these shithole countries? A U.S. Army base. Why should I care about these disgusting people? A gun store on U.S. soil. Why should I care if you feel triggered? Everywhere at once. Now B speaks like a god. I don't give a fuck what you feel. I am the most important thing to have ever existed. And my needs must never be sacrificed. For I am the individual. A reaches out and grabs B gently. But the touch pulls him back quickly to the UN, which is mostly as it was before, with a touch of all other places floating around. There you are, and there you were. That, that was terrible. I don't want to do that again. Do what? Whatever the fuck it was I just did. I don't, I don't want to do that ever again. That was impossible. It felt so, so fucking bad. What exactly is that? What was that? A brief trip through your national psyche. That was... Summarized, of course. 330 million voices, so we didn't have time for everyone. But some of the driving ideologies of today. And no time for time travel. That would take years to unpack. Our history isn't that complicated. It's more complicated than you're taught about. It's more complicated than you can see. There have been people on your lands for millennia. But what did you ever learn about people who lived here before the 1600s? I... There are spirits on your land. But your ancestors have tried desperately to wipe them out. No, no. There's... There's another character I can play here. The woods in the Pacific Northwest. The woods. And the air. The space. The pure freedom of it. The majesty of this world. We're at the top of a mountain in the woods. You can see for miles and nothing. Untouched by people. Glorious. The thunderstorm in the distance. And the desire to run back down a path so you're not a sitting duck. The terrifying sound of thunder rolling through the hills which is completely different than it sounds across the plains or bouncing between buildings through a large city. The trees that have been here since before I was born and will continue to be here long after I'm gone. This is a wonderful place. Yes, it is. And you can feel the world, the, the earth and the dirt and the trees. There's something spiritual not christian going to church spiritual but something deep within the bones feeling connected to the river of time that happens when you're here the spirits of your land the spirits of this land predate your people 
they predate your sentiment. You're not connecting with them. You're replacing this history with your own story. It has happened in the village. It has happened in Texas and California and New England. The rewriting of history is the story of your people. What, you're just going to take all this away from me? I'm not taking anything from you. I'm just reminding you that you invented this feeling to fill the place of a story you're not telling yourself. He is distraught. We slip back to the UN. Well, then, what, what do I have? You have a lot of money. Yeah, but what else? What else do you need? Money is what you've built yourself around. That and your supposed individual liberties. What should it matter? What else you have? I'd like to think it all means something. Such as? I don't know. Community? I'd like to think we build communities and better lives and... That was never your organizing principle. Well, there were a bunch of organizing... It was always a fringe idea. Something you said so you could sleep at night. I believed it. I believe it. I believe that. Would you like to see the world? Would you like to see the way the world could be? Uh... I promise it is worth your time. Oh, you promise, do you? I do not make promises lightly. Well, I don't really feel like I can say no, so go ahead. First, the suburban lawns. It's nice to see a wider range of people around the neighborhood. To think, for years we made laws to make it harder to have neighborhoods as varied and alive as this. What a ridiculous thing to have done. The fancy restaurant. I'm scared to think about the world. All of it. I try to care. I want to, in what ways I can. It's hard to deal with it all, but I want to. I'm trying. The street corner. Helping the environment and making more thriving communities? I'm in. The protest. I'll protect and serve the poorest among us, not just the wealthy. The polling station. Be without a gun. Do you know anyone else who needs a ride today? We want to make sure everyone gets a chance to get down here. The classroom. Thank you for all you do for my kid. For all the kids. It really means a lot to me. The playroom with the toy cars. This car is my favorite. I love it. Here, you should play with it. You'll see why I love it so much. Subway car. Here, go get yourself something nice to eat. Hope you have a great day. The corner store. B wears a mask. Hey, best wishes, all right? I'll be thinking about your friends. I hope they stay safe. Back to the UN. That was good. We. Oui. And if we follow through on what we say, projected around the space, we see versions of the people played by A helping in their own different ways, a wide number of people. We see railroads being built and people riding. We see green trees being planted. And then we see the ramifications of that kindness and the further ramifications. A is showing B the third, fourth, fifth order benefits of everyone making decisions out of kindness. People are confidently themselves. The hungry are fed. There is plenty of sorrow. It is met with compassion. These images are projected around the space. If possible, they are built into the audience and then they fade and we're back in the blank space of the UN. Did we, did we do it? Do it, do what? Solve it. Did we solve our problems? Ha! 
Don't laugh at me. <laughs> Solve all your problems. This is a piece of theater, nothing more than ideas in the mind. I've shown you what's possible. You still have to do it. Well, it's not so easy as flipping a switch and... So quick to make excuses. Do or do not. Oh, great. So we're quoting Star Wars now. Those with power are afraid to lose it. We really went there. Your country is not devoid of people who get it at some level. I mean, yeah. Put them in power. In every corner of your land. Let love rule. You know what it looks like now. You show me the result, but not how to get there. You just have to listen to the people who need your help the most. And so, we accept. You accept? We accept your offer. The collage of cultural images and the accompanying soundscape very subtly appear in space, escalating slowly through the next moments. Except? Except what? What did I say? What what the fuck did I say? What the fuck did I say? What the fuck did I say? The United States of America shall leave the charter. It shall, of course, have to help accommodate moving the United Nations infrastructure out of the United States. We might find suitable space in Russia or in China. Perhaps Delhi or Singapore would be able to host us. But this is a bonehead. This is boneheaded of us. And you know it. Our politicians are being stupid. But as a nation, as a culture, we're still so young. Your culture has nuclear weapons. Your culture controls many of the most powerful multinational banks. And young as your culture is, the men in charge are far from children. So that excuse won't work here. Please have mercy. We didn't mean it. We didn't think it through. It was the policy equivalent of drunk dialing an ex. Please, see it for what it was. A mistake. A mistake. Your culture has a long and ever-growing history of individualist behavior. Does not play well with others. Undercuts the severity of the grievance we have with you. But it's a cute way to sum it up. Even if this memo and what it imparts did all go away, it is hard not to believe that it would all come around again some other time. Why should we put ourselves through the trouble? I I know this isn't ideal. Not ideal? Buddy, we are way past merely being not ideal. Frankly, I'm surprised this hasn't come sooner. The blithe, unthinking, self-centered politics of your nation are so atrocious. It's mind-numbing. It's hard for even me sometimes to not look away, to force myself to continue to engage. There's such an urge to just pretend that this is a momentary madness, so that it can be ignored rather than an unsurprising consequence of moral rot and the logical conclusion of over 40 years of bad policy. That whole stupid nine most dangerous words in the English language was something truly awful, and it had a horrid foundation to build on. Now look at the consequences. I'm done. I'm fucking done. Okay, now just wait a fucking minute. And dealing with your psychotic need to be the good guy, no matter what it is you're doing, it it is just so exhausting. I am tired of it. We are tired of it. So, goodbye and good riddance. Okay, look, I know we need to learn a lesson. Maybe this is the only way you learn. Look at me. I'm, I, I've learned, right? Being here with you, together. Oh, you've learned. Yes. As an individual. And I love that for you. Very good. Way to go. Five stars, all that. You are not representative of your people. You have work to do. No, please. A banishes B, who disappears, 
This happens in time with a crescendo from the imagery and soundscape. The soundscape returns to a muted level. The space is still filled with an ever-changing array of images from every corner of the globe, similar to the beginning of the play. But A is not in a meditative space just yet. A takes a deep breath. A might seem a little tired, but takes the time to recenter themselves, returns to the meditative engaging with imagery, like from the beginning of the play, except now A has their eyes open and then the images cuts out completely. Delegate from the United Kingdom here to see you. A visibly deflates, shows their exhaustion. Oh, not this again. A takes a moment, feels the exhaustion, the tiredness, recollects themselves, regains their power, their posture, their determination, stares off towards the direction from which B entered at the beginning of the play. Okay, send him in. Blackout. End of play. Thank you so much for tuning in to this audio play reading of Individual by Ben M. Jones. The reading featured Radhika Rao as actor A and Matt Regan as actor B, with Stephanie Wilborn reading stage directions. Sandcastle Theatre Company is committed to nurturing and producing new plays, growing a broader theatre community, and creating accessible opportunities for people to experience original stories. You can find us online at www.sandcastletheaterco.org and follow us on social media at facebook.com slash sandcastletheaterco and at sandcastletheaterco on Instagram. If you'd like to support our work on new play development and theater education, we invite you to make a tax-deductible donation via the link on our website. Thank you.